This is the TriDot Podcast. TriDot uses your training data and genetic profile combined with predictive analytics and artificial intelligence to optimize your training, giving you better results in less time with fewer injuries. Our podcast is here to educate, inspire, and entertain. We'll talk all things triathlon with expert coaches and special guests. Join the conversation and let's improve together. Together. Welcome to the show, everybody. I am excited, stoked, very eager to get going. We have some great stuff to cover, and I have two of the best minds in triathlon training uh, with me today. First up is the founder and CEO of TriDot, Jeff Boer. Jeff is the mastermind behind TriDot's training software and the godfather of optimized training. Jeff, you ready to dive in today? Absolutely. Godfather, I love it. Um... High stakes. You're setting the bar pretty high. I hope uh, we can deliver some value and, and have a lot of fun. So I think we go. certainly will. Also joining us is Coach John Mayfield. John is a five-time Ironman finisher who has coached athletes to finishes at every U.S. Ironman event. He also serves as the Director of Athlete Services for TriDot. John, thanks for being here. Yep, I've kissed the ring and I am ready to go. And who am I? I'm your host, Andrew, the average triathlete, voice of the people and captain of the middle of the pack. We will warm up today with a real clever post uh, that came in from our Tridot athlete on our Facebook page that I'm going to share with the guys. Uh, for our main set, Jeff and John are going to answer all of my questions about Tridot's training calendar. Uh, then we'll cool down with a segment we call Triathlon Mythbusters, where my guests today will either confirm or bust a principle commonly believed by the multi-sport world. Let's get it going. Time to warm up. Let's get moving. Recently, a TriDot athlete posted this on Facebook. Being a two-year TriDot vet and a two-time Ironman finisher, I feel that I'm starting to become a connoisseur of body aches in the same way a sommelier appreciates wine. Transitioning to the shorter development phase of the season creates a more direct, brighter kind of ache, like a Sauve Blanc or Pinot Grigio. This compared to the deeper level, full-bodied ache of peak hours and race prep, where dull throbbing of the neck and crotch from long rides and more subtle tones in the ankles and feet are more of a Malbec or older Bordeaux. Now guys, you don't have to be a wine drinker to appreciate the humor here. Ron's post led me to wonder, what is something else that you have compared triathlon to? Oh, well, that, first of all, that's hilarious. That's pretty creative. Um, I don't know if I could be as eloquent as that. Um, I think it, it makes a great point about just the, the sacrifice and the struggle, something that's, you know, so elegant as wine drinking, you know, yet we we're out there suffering and struggling and we just got to love the pain and the challenge and all that yeah. you put yourself through. Um, I guess what I think of, I know a lot of people that don't do triathlons, they're always joking around about, yeah, I'd rather be fat and out of shape than put myself through all that. You know, yep. kind of the ends doesn't justify the means for me. But uh, when I was in the service, I uh, served an army buddy of mine. Um, we were studying a lot of Brazilian jiu-jitsu and MMA kind of stuff, and he was training, and he come home just black and blue and beat up and sore, all the same kind of stuff, you know, yeah. um, like that, and all in, you know, the self-defense. Uh, he said, man, you know, I've been doing this every single day for years and years and years, and odds are I may never need it. So why don't I just, 
bypass all this and just if I get my ass kicked someday, just so be it. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, it was kind of funny, but that's what I thought of when you read that that post by. Yeah, I, I, I think like a, an MMA, you know, anybody in that kind of a sport, I mean, same as triathlon, like to, to be successful in that sport and to enjoy that sport, there's there's a certain degree where you have to... You have to love the training. You have to you love, the, love training. the training. Like, you, you have to embrace the fact that, that it's... Because for us, like, you know, you go through a hard training day and you're sore the next day. That, that, it's like a satisfying feeling. And that's kind of what Ron's getting at here, you know, in the same way that for somebody who gets to the, you know, the the weekend after a long week of, of tough work, you know, that that glass of wine, you know, can be so satisfying, you know, as a reward. I mean, I, I think a lot of us view it as the kind of the satisfying reward of the hard work we put in. Uh, but John, for you, what's something that maybe that maybe you've compared triathlon to? Uh, I'm more of a whiskey drinker, so I'm not so sure about all those wines. Nice. But uh, there, there's a great uh, golf quote from Mark Twain that uh, golf is a good walk gone bad. <laughs> uh, so I think we've had a few trips to the pool or maybe a few uh, times out on our bikes that... Uh, uh, maybe we're nice long rides gone bad, but uh, yeah, it's it's all about loving the pain and enjoying the sacrifice and reaping the rewards of, of the work that we put in. Yeah, so, so true. I know for me, what I'm constantly like comparing endurance sports to is uh, like going to a social function. And so, so for me, my wife, you know, if we go to a wedding, if we go to a house party, if we go to, you know, a, a, a baby gender reveal, wh- whatever it is, right, you're, you're in a house with a bunch of people. Um, for me, I, I self-describe as a extroverted introvert. You know, so I recharge by myself. Um, you know, I, I need that time alone, uh, but I do enjoy sitting down and talking to people and being around people. So when we go to a social function, the question I always ask my wife, it's like, are we going to be here for one hour or are we going to be here for eight hours? I, I can do either one, but I, I've got to know because if, if it's going to be a one-hour thing, to me, it's like a 5K. You know, I, I can go all out. I can just unleash my personality. I can, I can go hard from the get-go and talk, talk it up with people uh, and, and be out of there in an hour. But if I'm going to be there for eight hours... I've got to pace myself like a marathon and I've got to know that, that I've got to kind of hold, hold some energy in the reserves because uh, it's going to be a while. So that, that's something I find myself comparing it to. On to the main set. Going in three, two, one. Our main set today is brought to you by our good friends at UCAN. Here at TriDot, we are huge believers in using UCAN to fuel our training and racing. In the crowded field of nutrition companies, what separates UCAN from the pack is the science behind their superstarch, the key ingredient in UCAN products. While most energy powders are filled with sugar or stimulants that cause a spike or crash, UCAN energy powders, powered by superstarch, deliver a steady release of complex carbs to give you stable blood sugar and provide long-lasting energy. UCAN also offers tasty and refreshing hydration mixes and energy bars for when you are on the go. When I was new to UCAN, my first purchase was their perfectly named Tri Starter Pack. It's the best way to discover what super starch powered UCAN products are best for you. So head to their website, generationucan.com, and use the code TRIDOT to save 15% on your entire order. So today, Jeff and John will explain everything about TRIDOT's training calendar. Now, when I first started using TriDot, I honestly thought I would feel confined to the program, but I immediately found trusting the process to be liberating. It freed me from the confines of the few workouts I knew how to do. Jeff, there are a ton of factors that generate what workout TriDot athletes do on any given day. Walk me through some of the main variables that generate the training schedule. Absolutely. Uh, There's a lot of built-in flexibility, of course, and moving your stuff around so that confinement's not there. But um, I'll share, you mentioned the training calendar, and that's what a lot of our 
our athletes, our users say they see as the name of the screen that they're on. There's our tr you know daily training or the calendar that shows the week. But there's a whole lot of behind the scenes stuff. And before I dig into that and kind of lift the hood and uh, show what's going on there or describe it, I just really want to stress that there's a lot going on there and don't get hung up on on all of that. Um, Which is why we say trust the process. Right, <laughs> trust the process. So it's not a, a need to understand all of that to, to be able to execute. The back end is sophisticated, the front end is simple. Just do the workouts and you're gonna get the results. Same as using a smartphone you know, to travel somewhere you've never been. You don't have to understand GPS and satellite technology just to plug it in, here's where I wanna go and follow yeah. the directions. So there's a lot of technical stuff going in, um, but I know there's a lot of data geeks and nerds and people love you know, to know, and some people are just curious, you know, absolutely. Uh, they so just want to know what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I love it. This is, you know, I could do this all day. I promise we won't, but, uh, <laughs> I'll try to keep it succinct, but, uh, share some of that. So on the back end, you, you drop in a race, every, all of the data that an athlete, uh, enters, um, goes in starting with the season planner. Actually, when you drop in a race, change a race, a race, B race, whatever that is, there's a whole process of calculations that go, you know, how much time is there between now and then, and how should the phases be broken up? Um, from phases to mesocycles, microcycles, and, and drills down. When it goes through that, that process, it takes in athlete uh, profile information, your age, your training age, your gender, your body composition, uh, your tri-dot scores, your values. Um, those are normalized on a scale of one to 100, your swim dot, bike dot, run dot of your uh, functional threshold in each of those. And so we get a, an absolute value and then a relative value. So we don't need to, we don't only know that your bike is faster than your run, but by how much? And then we can look at your physiology and say, well, should you be faster on the bike than run? You're a big person. You have to carry your weight on the bike, but you're using a mechanical wheel on the, you know, carry your weight on the run using a bike wheel. And so there should be some differential there. So we can actually yeah. look at what are the physiological improvement opportunities for each of those as we optimize. Then we have a training stress, training stress profile, which measures an athlete's ability to absorb stress over a certain period. So whether it's neural stress, muscular stress, aerobic stress, threshold stress. Because that, that's very different for everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's different per discipline. So you're able to do those differently because you've been doing the different disciplines longer. Your body composition is different. Mm, your age. True. All of those things um, are different for each person by discipline, uh, by energy system you use. And then and they're different by time period. So each of those metrics, um, different disciplines, uh, different energy systems, and then different time periods. How much um, stress can you take in in a day, in a microcycle a week a month mesocycle uh, so all of those are, are factored in a bike to run factor is another thing when we compare your bike and your run uh, and those there's a lot of overlap there so if you you stress one over the other there's a, a cost you know and so we look at that opportunity cost because um, we have three sports to train for exactly not right. just one yeah and yeah. The, the swim doesn't overlap as much some but the bike and run sure do and so if you're going to emphasize one uh, you need to look at why what what is emphasizing it mean does it mean more intensity, more time, more frequency, more overall volume? And what does that three? do to the other sport? And, correct. What do all of those things do? So what levers are you pulling? It's easy to say bike-focused or run-focused, but really why to quantify that. So that goes into your optimization. Your weekly volumes are currently what you're doing by each, um, each discipline, your current long sessions, how far are you going? Not just that particular week, but there's a you know an algorithm that looks over the past several weeks, four to six weeks, to see what kind of a a long session are you capable of doing um, while keeping your your risk um, your injury risks in check then um, there's your actual projected race splits so we look at okay how long is it going to take you to finish these races what does your long session your terminal long session need to be so when we're three weeks four weeks out from a race what does that long session need to be what is your incremental 
um, duration from week to week that we can get to, how much time do we have between the two, um, now and then, what B races are in there, is there a, even the race beyond the current phase, is that race have a higher demand than the current? So if you're training for an Olympic in seven weeks, but you know, 10 weeks after that you have an Ironman, well, this phase needs to have a higher long run, long bike, anticipating the phase that follows. And so there's all of those kind of things going on to that um, yeah, yeah. So, so, so a few factors. A few, and then and you're looking at the ta uh, taper recovery requirements. We pull in. We're you know synced in with Strava and Garmin and Polar, and we're pulling in your health data, stress data, resting heart rate, all of that kind of stuff. Even your genetics. So we're pulling in your genome file. Uh, we track about 20, a little more than 20 SNPs. Um, those are single nucleotide polymorphisms. Big word there. So that's yeah, like what a what a word to drop yeah. on a podcast. John, can you say that word? Nope. <laughs> so those are markers on your genes and helps us uh, determine um, from a genetic standpoint what your training response is going to be, your aerobic potential, your recovery rate, your injury predisposition, and then we can plan accordingly. When we look at those volume changes, increases, how much um, intensity can you take and kind of what's optimal. And then drilling even further down to the day, the week, and the time of day even. So we're looking at elevation, temperature, humidity, what should your training intensities be if you're doing a workout in the morning, in the afternoon, inside, outside, um, and calibrating everything. Um, so, so there's a lot. You, you mentioned, you know, that's a lot of data. Yes, um, it's it's something that has been incremented over 15 years. We continue to get more and more and more granular um, as we learn more and more about how the human body responds to training. And um, so, with you know, tens of thousands of athletes and tens of millions of of training files have been prescribed, and doing it in a methodical, normalized, standardized way, we can track, measure, and improve. And unless you're tracking to this degree. You can't measure to this degree, and if you're not measuring, you can't improve it. It's not improvable if it's not measurable, you know, objectively standardized. Yeah, and that's one of the crazy things about about TriDot over just you know if people have like a cookie cutter you know triathlon training program is is that TriDot is is always evolving. It's always learning, mm -hmm. right? So it's like you said over the course of all those years. I mean, eleven thousand you know calculations happening over millions of data files that athletes have have uploaded over the years. I mean, I mean, it, it's just constantly improving how you need to train. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. We had about three, well, I guess it's more four or five years ago now, 2015, we were upgrading our optimization engine and the engineers that were working on it, um, he was just fascinated with it all. He wouldn't, he, he was, came from a mechanical engineering background. Yeah. He'd been doing this for 20 years, but it was just kind of fascinated. Like, wow, triathletes, you know, this is pretty cool. And so he said he ran a test. He wanted to see when optimization occurred for a, a training phase, how many calculations were happening. And there's, it's, um, it's a functional training, a functional language, um, Erlang, uh, anyway, it's the technical side of it. But he said he tracked how many uh, simultaneous calculations were occurring. And he said when he checked, there's more than 11,000 individual calculations happening at the same time. So there's more than that that were stopping and, and starting. And that's for one athlete for one phase. One athlete, one phase. Yep. And, and so that, that ha that's how many calculations are choosing what workout is on your training plan for that particular day. Like well, that. yeah, that's all of the all of the workouts on all the day because they're all in, in context. Yeah, you know, there's nothing done in isolation. Everything relates to and impacts everything else around it. So there, there are so many individual swim, bike, and run workouts that appear on an athlete's schedule. Jeff, how does TriDot choose which workout to prescribe on each day? So um, there is optimal ways of of setting things up. We you know we build again, like I mentioned, from the the season to the phase to the mesocycle, microcycle down to daily sessions. Um, so there's a lot of options. There's weekly patterns that we use where the user can enter their preferences. 
Um, one of the things that you look at when you, when you see a daily session, I guess at that more granular level, uh, a lot of times you'll hear athletes talk about distance-based workouts. Like I'm doing one mile repeats uh, today, or my buddy is, or you've heard of that. And so you yeah. go out and do those. And anytime there's distance-based sessions, they always need to be derived from the duration. I know there's a lot of Ds there, uh, but your body doesn't know how much ground you cover when you're working out. All it knows is here's how hard I'm working and here's how long I need to hold that. Every yeah. Level. And so we come at it from that standpoint. What is the optimal time period for the particular effort level uh, for that particular individual on that day, that set, that repeat, whatever it is. And then we back into the distance they need to cover. And so sometimes you might have athletes like distance-based run. They might be doing 1,200 repeats or 1,400 repeats or 1,600, 1,800, whatever, to be in that sweet spot of here's how long you need to hold that, that intensity for the optimal effect. And then that's going to, that's going to even change. Like I, I think of like the swim workouts that, that appear on my training program, mm -hmm. you know, they'll, they'll have certain names. And so there, there's one that's, you know, uh, uh, threshold 300s, you know, and every time a threshold 300 workout is prescribed to me, that, that workout might be a little bit different each time it's prescribed because it's, it's not necessarily about. Yeah, exactly right. It's not about, it's not about that particular, the set, I guess, d being done a certain specific way. For example, uh, it could be that broken 150s or threshold 300s or, or whatever that is. A particular person that needs that workout, the structure of that workout and the components, they may not cover a 300 in the same amount of time that you cover a 300. Yeah. So someone else can have threshold 150s, threshold 250s. And it serves the same purpose 400. as my the same, it, Well, it's the same. If you took out, if you took out the, the distance covered, it would be a certain number of repeats for a certain amount of time uh, with a certain amount of rest. You're covering 300, someone else is covering 200, someone else is covering 400. And so it's done that way. So for a particular swim set, um, there's 280 variations for every single swim set. Wow. So it's based on um, you know intensity level, how fast you're going, how far you're covering those different distances, breaking it up by, by 50s. Um, and then different times is that whole workout, you know, are you squeezing into 40 minutes, an hour, an hour and 10, hour and 20. And so there's a, a different amount of rest in between sets or rounds of, of efforts. So yeah, there's a very, you know, one set has many, many different um, versions or combinations. I know I, for one, I'm glad that there is somebody else doing all of that work for me. And I just have to, I just have to get my workout and go to the pool and get it done. And uh, I reap the benefits from it. So uh, well, when, when we complete a workout, TriDot gives us a TrainX score based on how closely we completed the workout as prescribed. Now, we'll talk in depth about TrainX uh, another day, but for now, do these scores affect our upcoming training? No, not directly. Um, so the data that is used to populate the uh, TrainX score is the same data that is used to influence future training, but uh, the score itself does not have an impact on future training. So really the, the intent of TrainX is to provide objective feedback back to the athlete as to how well they achieved the purpose of that session. So um, what kind of session it is is gonna determine how it's, how it's scored, how it's graded based on that incoming data. Uh, so whether a session is a threshold set, whether it's a stamina set, whether it's active recovery, uh, the intent of the session is really gonna determine how and even what metrics are used to, to score it. So for example, um, we primarily use pace and power to, to score the uh, threshold sets, the stamina sets, because those are more objective uh, metrics to use. However, yeah. on things like active recovery and the easy runs at uh, zone two, we're gonna utilize heart rate for that because that's the intent of those sessions is to provide for that easy set 
uh, either to develop that aerobic efficiency or to provide for that active recovery. So um, really it's a motivation tool. So um, it's that immediate gratification when you nail a set and you come back and you see that score and uh, you get that uh, little bit of a reward, a uh, little bit of applause, even if it's just you and, and uh I believe the all the, tryout, the tryout athletes out there call it the unicorn. When they yeah. get 100 on a workout, they yeah. weren't expecting to get 100. Um, and so it's 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 motivation. So I, I know for me, I I go out with with every set with the intent of of trying to maximize my my training score. And I'm always real quick coming back to to sync my data so I can see yeah. exactly what my score was. Um, and that's really what it is. It's it's a game. It's something that's fun. Uh, it does not um, influence future training, but uh, it's just really something for the athlete okay. to use as motivation and accountability. So, so whether I score an 86 or whether I score a 93, that, that's not necessarily affecting what my training is going to be moving forward. That's correct. That doesn't directly affect. Um, the same data that affects that score affects your future training, but that okay. score itself doesn't. But how it, so there's an indirect relationship, but I think the most powerful thing is that affects people's desire to do the training as prescribed. Mm. And there's no perfect session. You can't control all the variables around you. All kinds of stuff can happen. Your watch can, you know, whatever. Stuff happens. But when people have that that focus, that metric, and they say they just want to get a good, respectable score, not not perfection, but, you know, 70, 80, 90, somewhere in there, if they keep trying to do it, they're going to be very, um, a lot better at performing in the long run their sessions. And they're going to start learning how to do all of the sessions better. And if you get in there, you're not looking for perfection, but looking to do the best you can on that day, you're going to get so much more out of the training. So in that regard, it, it directly you know, affects your training. Got it. So assessment weeks are a monthly staple on the training calendar. Many TriDot users express a love-hate relationship with the assessments. Why does TriDot schedule these once a month? So these are incredibly important sessions. If, if we had to... Uh identify what was the most important session that's that's in an athlete's training plan each month. It would probably be these assessments uh, and because they serve so many functions um, and they're repeated on a regular basis for, for several reasons. First, uh, it establishes their functional thresholds in the swim, bike, and run. And this, uh, this provides us with uh, several pieces of information. Uh, it's used for benchmarking their progress. So we want to see these assessments improve on a month-to-month. -month. That gives us that objective um, measurements of how an athlete is progressing and how they're improving. Um, their intensities are based on these assessment results. So their paces on the swim, their power and heart rate zones on their bike, the heart rate zones and paces on the run are all based on results of these assessments. So we want to make sure that those are current. Um, if the athlete goes two, three, four months without updating their assessments, they're now using stale data uh, for um, for their training intensity. So yeah. we want to make sure that the athletes are training at the proper intensity for their current fitness level, not where they were three or four months ago, for better or for worse. Um, so sometimes athletes take time off and, and maybe they aren't, um, they shouldn't be running the same pace they were running three or four months ago. Um, or maybe they should be running faster than they were three or four months ago, but we don't know that. We don't know exactly what that pace should be without testing to determine these functional thresholds, which in turn uh, determine their assessments. Um they're, they're hard sessions. They're all out um, best effort, which um, is, is probably why a lot of the athletes don't like them because yeah. <laughs> uh, it's the polar opposite of a nice easy session that, uh, you know, stroll through the park. These yeah. are hard, um, but that's part of racing. It's um, a race skill that has to be developed. Um, so it's very much a, a race day skill being dialed in. So if so the only time... It's a little time, bit of learning how to push yourself. It's, it's learning how to hurt. It's learning how to race. 
Um, if, if you show up to a race and you haven't really pushed yourself or gotten uncomfortable, gone to that place that we refer to as, as pain, yeah. um, since your last race, the guy who's been practicing it every month is probably going to beat you because he has that skill. He has that ability level. And it's, it's really something that does have to be dialed in and refined. So it's learning what it feels like to push your body. It's being okay with that, um, uncomfortable, uh, feeling of pushing the body and, um, so there, there are several other things that, that it achieves, but um, they are, they're very important. They update the training, they update the intensities, they benchmark progress, and they really teach the athlete how to race. I, I know some athletes, uh, and myself, when I, when I first you know, came on, sometimes you'd be, you'd be tempted to skip the assessment for a month, and, and you think to yourself, like, oh, like, like, you know, this week isn't ideal for me. I know I'm not going to perform my best this week. Um, there, there's no way I can hit you know, the paces that I, I think I can hit. And, and so they, and they, so they kind of put it off. Uh, but, but I, I heard a coach tell me one time, uh, like, like, Hey, the, the assessment, it, it, it's for the benchmarking that you just talked about, but there's also the purpose of, it's kind of a, a recovery week. Um, can you talk about that just a little bit? It is the overall volume in those weeks goes down. Um, intensity and in other on other days goes down. So there is a dependence on this one, uh, to be your training value. If you, if you think about, going into that training week and if you skip that workout you say oh my you know benchmark i'm not ready for it i don't think it's going to improve i already know what my 5k is you know whatever you're going to go a very long you can go up to 10 days without any significant quality wow. which you're going to have a detraining um during that time and so we're counting on this not just for the benchmarking the mental toughness the skills the stress you know the the grit um factor but to also have that training value and so you're going to push to that level for a sustained it's not an interval it's a constant effort um, so you're going to give that that effort there, um, so that has a very significant um, training value. It's generally right in the middle of the week. It, it depends on how you structure your your weekly pattern based on your preferences, but it's generally going to be in the in the middle of the week uh, when you do that. Now, a typical week for me is a swim on Monday and Friday, cycling on Tuesday and Thursday, a run on Wednesday and Sunday, and a longer brick workout on Saturday. Now, this obviously will vary a little for everyone, but what is the reason for a consistent pattern? There's a lot of reasons for that. The, the, what you just described is kind of the base, the default. That's the optimal week. And there's a reason that's the optimal. I'm glad I'm doing the optimal week. Good to pattern. know. So if you load it, you know, log in on board uh, to try it out, that's the, the weekly pattern that's going to be there. You can come in and, and change that. You can add off days and change your long run, your long bike around. Um, but that's, that's the best. So that we call it a weekly pattern. The good thing for the consistency is because you get into a routine. Your body gets into a routine. You make sure that there's not there's adequate rest in between um, the different quality workouts, that they're spaced out, that your bikes and your runs are spaced out, the quality, and that you're getting this intermittent um, stimulus to the different energy systems. And so there's some things that are ro- that, that are working, you know, your aerobic fitness in different areas, and we you want to optimize um, that training. So making sure that they're all spaced out is is great. If you think of I I, I think linearly um when i'm thinking through the the pattern usually the pattern is driven by when it starts with when your long bike has to be you know certain people i can only do the long bike you know i can't do that in the middle of the week um so there's one day that has to be maybe two saturday sunday um then next is your your long run you know when does that need to be and the best day to do it is wednesday um if if you're doing on a friday or a Saturday long, long bike. So it's spreading those out. So you're having that long sustained yeah. efforts. You take a little bit longer to recover from them and they're spread out. So each one is a better quality. And then the training around 
each one is also better because you're recovering more fully in between them. Another big thing that people don't realize for having that Wednesday, you know, get up early, just do that long run, get it done. Um, the benefit of having that on a Wednesday is when you work in other um, A races or B races and you start to taper, if that's a weekend run, say it's a, a long run on Saturday and a long, a long bike on Saturday, a long run on Sunday, if you're going into a race the following weekend, you're probably going to taper that long Sunday run that's only seven days out. And then you're going to go do a race, and then you're probably going to have a recovery the following week. You're not going to be up for another long run. And so it might be two, two and a half weeks between long run to long run. So if you have a B race training up for an Ironman, that's three increasable weeks that you're going to skip. You're and not yeah. But if you move that back to a Wednesday, you can do a long run on a Wednesday, race not the next weekend, but the next weekend. That's only 10 days away. And then the following week and then another few days. So you have um, a Wednesday long run, probably a long run on that race. And so you're not going any more than a week and a half without that long run. And so you're not losing that fitness. And so in, in the accumulation over a long period of time, you're having more sustainable, consistent weeks with your long run runs and your long bikes intact. And so there's a benefit there. One of the worst scenarios when you, you drop in these off days and can you imagine doing a, you know, your, your long bike on a Sunday. All right. And then your long run on a Wednesday and selecting Tuesday off. Oh, so when you're doing that, you have, you know, your long bike is on a, a Sunday. So you're not going to do another quality bike session yeah. on Monday. You're off on Tuesday. You're, you're not going to do it the same on Wednesday. on Wednesday. So that leaves Thursday. So you've had four days, the fifth day, you know, you're going to do another bike and then you can't do another one because two days later you're doing another long bike. So there's, there's implications in this cascading effect, like a ripple effect of when days um, have to be. So with having your, you know, your long bike traditionally on a Saturday or Sunday, your long bike is going to be on the other weekend day or a Wednesday. The um, run in the middle of the week. Run in the middle of the week. Or even if it's not, you choose one of those yeah. three days typically. It's the middle of the week. And then you're going to have an, an off day or not. It's better to not. Uh, most people have an off day because they overtrain on all the other days. If you have a sustainable um, weekly pattern that's a good routine, then you break it down and every day is easier to absorb and your body gets used to that. You don't have an off day of walking. You know, you do everything else in life consistently every day. You no, get used to doing true. it. And that's just part of what you do. Um, so in all of those combinations, there's 28 possible combinations of weekly patterns uh, where you have to optimize where you drop those days. So it's, it's based on either default or the user's preference. User says, I want this day off, this long run, this long bike. And then there's a systematic ripple effect of how you, in an optimized way, um, put all of those other all of those other um, quality sessions and recovery sessions. So this is something I see um, self-coached athletes uh, struggle with a lot. Um, athletes that are are new. That's it's a it's a concept that's not always immediately grasped. Um, but the frequency of workouts and the sequence of workouts are two very important training variables. I see a lot of coaches even uh, neglect this when they're writing training plans. The way these sessions are planned out and how these sessions um, influence one another is is an incredibly important value uh, variable. So all of that is taken care of uh, by these features that, that Jeff has been describing. So uh, it's just another advantage of utilizing optimized training so that you know that each one of these sessions is going to complement the next and you're going to have adequate recovery one session to the next. That's another thing um, we see that's this pretty common question among athletes coming to TriDot is why is there not a default day off? 
And the fact of the matter is you only need a day off when your other days have not been structured properly. Yeah. It is completely feasible to train seven days a week for months and years on end. We've had hundreds of users that have been training seven days a week for, for years. And it's because what goes into those seven days is prescribed specifically for them. Um, we're not having to rely on guesswork or assumptions to say, is this enough? Is this too much? You only need a day off when you've done too much. When you've done the proper amount of, of stress and you've done the proper amount of recovery, you can train perpetually um, seven days a week. And in doing so, you're able to achieve more in those seven days. So there are uh, instances where you need a day off. Um, there are those where you have to take a day off. Sometimes you know, folks just don't have a day available yeah. for training. So that option is available, but I would say only use it in that case when uh, there's just a hard and fast rule that you cannot train on any given day. Otherwise, um, take the day off here, there when you need to, whether schedule or, or body fatigue just says, hey, I need a day off. Uh, that's that's absolutely fine. But there's no reason to schedule a day off every week. All you're really doing is uh, reducing the amount of time to achieve the same amount of work. So even scheduling a day off doesn't necessarily reduce the amount of training you have to do in a week. It just reduces the amount of time to achieve it. So in a lot of ways, when an athlete sees what workout is on their calendar for that day, you know, A, it's about, hey, this is the best workout for you based on all the factors we talked about earlier. But it's also, this is the best day for you to do this workout mm -hmm. in relation of recovering for your other workouts. Exactly. Yep. So another feature Tridot users, you know, kind of enjoy and know is, is the fact that you can move workouts, right? I mean, it, it's, you know, you're, you're not, you're not trapped. Like if, if it's, you know, if it's swim day and you missed your swim, but you, you know, have the chance to go run later that night, you can move those workouts around. And, but, but based on what you're talking about, that, that doesn't sound like it's, it, it's allowable, but it's not maybe the best thing to do. Is that, is that, is that a good way to say it? I, we it's optimized. So uh, your training is optimized, but it's not about one workout. It's the cumulative effect of all of these little um, optimizations over a long period of time. So it's just more and more powerful when you consistently do all these things. The training is is so much more effective. So if you move one workout, skip one workout, anything, one workout is going to have a very minimal uh, marginal effect on your overall fitness. And so just don't stress about that. That's another thing that I kind of mentioned one in the very first start. You, you mentioned all these things that are happening in the back, all this optimization that's happening. You're not going to jack it up. You know, just do your best. Do your best with the training score. Every session, do the best you can. Um, try to get in all your sessions. If you can't, no big deal. Move on. Whatever you do is going to be better, and it's going to produce more results more effectively um, because of the optimization. So life just happens. Don't, don't stress about that. And I would say when moving these sessions around, uh, take these things we mentioned into consideration. Um, what kind of session is being is being moved? Is it a long session? Is it a recovery session? Think about what are the implications of doing sessions back to back or three sessions in a, in a row, and make sure that we're we're maintaining um, a frequency of workouts, a sequence of workouts that is going to be advantageous. We don't want to do four days in a row of hard runs, uh, or we don't want to have three days of easy recovery sessions in a row. So those are the kinds of things that, that we want to consider and take into consideration. Um, when moving these sessions. It's uh, a great conversation to have for those that work with the TriDot coach. Um, they're experts at, at doing this, and they can help with that. Um, but but the, the self-coached athletes can absolutely do this on their own as well. Just look at it, identify what the session is, and when and where does it make sense to to move that session. Both of you guys have touched so well on on already on what happens when life kind of gets in the way you can skip a session, no big deal, just so long as that consistency and training is there. So, so let's say on a busy week, 
you know, if you can tell you're not going to get all of your scheduled sessions in, are, are there certain sessions you, you would recommend skipping over others? Absolutely. Uh, if you know ahead of time, first of all, if, if, if it just happens and you're not expecting it, just skip the session and move on. Um, if you're looking ahead and there's two or three days and you have, you know, multiple workouts and, you know, I can't get all these run workouts in or all of these bike work- workouts in, get the quality session, the one with the most intensity in it. Um, you know, get that session. But if it's a longer period of time um, or you're looking, um, you know, just to prioritize, I would go if you're in a race prep phase, you're, you're building up, you know, your long sessions are are increasing, make sure you get your long sessions in. Um, that may mean if you're you know, traveling for a week and you don't have access to a bike or you can't run or something like that, it may mean moving, you know, if you're leaving on a, a Wednesday and coming back on a Tuesday or something like that, you might move your long session closer to right before you leave. And then as soon as you get back, do another one. So it, it decreases the amount of time in between long sessions. Um, so that's one strategy that you can use. If you're not, um, always, you know, like I mentioned before, always use a, the quality session. Whatever has the most intensity in it, if you can only get in a few, uh, do that. Try to get at least one session of each discipline in. Um, and then after that, if you're going to prioritize, do the run, then the swim, and then the bike. Consistency, your lower limb, you know, durability, all that thing is, is so important on the run, unlike the swim and the bike as much. And so that's, that's much more important injury prevention is injury is going to happen a lot more on the run. So keeping that consistently consistent and not stopping and starting, uh, is very important on the run. So, um, those are the things that I do. Um, when I look at it, obviously those are, are kind of done ad hoc. So that's not built into yeah. the optimization. So you kind of have to adjust those. You can use your coach, you know, to help advise you on those. And that's where it is a great idea to invest in a coach at that point is, is when you know that there's a lot of life that gets in the way because they can advise you in those things. I, I know that. So, so I have a, a tri-dot coach, uh, Ryan Tibble out there. He's, he's awesome and uh, has given me some great advice. Um, and I, I did, John said it like five minutes earlier and I, I was laughing to myself. Like, like I went on a, we had a beach trip with my family over the summer and I, I didn't take anything to swim. I didn't take anything to bike. And I was like, oh, while I'm there, I'll just do all my running sessions. And so in three days, back to back to back, you know, one of those was a zone two run, but two of those were longer duration, high, in, you know, with high intensity sprinkled in kind of runs. And I left that beach trip, you know, I, my, my knee was kind of hurt and I had kind of a funky thing in my hip. And I had to, I had to back off of running for two, three, four weeks because of just the minor tweaks I picked up by stacking all that running back to back to back. Is that kind of a common thing you hear from, from athletes? Absolutely. And, and, um, this is something that's very common, uh, that the coaches work with their athletes. So many of the athletes, uh, are busy professionals. They travel, they have families that are, 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 um, have things going on. So rearranging the schedule is, is just a fact of life. Um, triathlon for vast majority of us is, is a hobby and something that is secondary or, or even tertiary to, to work and family and all those kinds of things. So uh, we need to be flexible. And uh, there's nothing wrong, as we've mentioned, with that. Um, but doing it right is is important. And uh, our TriDoc coaches are a, a fantastic resource in uh, understanding and knowing and making those recommendations of of how to rearrange the schedule, which sessions which sessions to drop, which ones to prioritize to to over to maximize your overall results on race day. I think we all have days, you know, where we're invited to join a club ride or a group run or something that kind of takes us out of our normal training routine for that day. Uh, but, you know, but we're still logging some form of exercise. Does that abnormal exercise session impact the training calendar at all? Yeah, it uh, definitely does. Um, it, and again, it's not just one session. So we're looking at the whole totality of the workout, not just even that session that week, but over the past four to six weeks on what you can do. So the more consistently 
you're training, the better. There's a lot of ways that you can do that if you're riding with a group ride. I mean, people need their social fix. They want to get out there, and that's, yeah. that's important. That's just as important aspect of training. I want to be a part of my club. Yeah. I, I want to train with TriDot. Right. And so there's just a lot of ways. There's, um, you know, choose to, if they're going a harder group, don't pull. Don't, you know, stay in the back if you're on a bike, uh, if you need ease off. Opposite, if you're stronger than the group, get out ahead. I know uh, when I was training for a while with a group, that was, I was kind of bringing along a lot of newer athletes, and I'd we'd meet at a coffee shop, you know, 7 o'clock and rolling out, and I'd come at 6, you know, 20, and set up my trainer and get some threshold work in, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and then take it off the trainer. They get there, and we go ride. And so Created, I get the duration I, like it, I needed, yeah. but I get that. And I get a, a few pulls, um, you know, that were pretty hard, go out in front, circle around. And so you can work that stuff in if you need to. Um, but any one session is not going to make or break, you know, your training. Now it goes without saying that the closer an athlete follows the program, the better the results. So John, what advice do you have for our athletes on ways to follow the program? Probably the most common tip I give is consistency is your best friend. Uh, perfection is not required. Oftentimes perfection, uh, can be counterproductive. Uh, oftentimes if, uh, if you hit every single session prescribed in a month, there are probably sessions in there you shouldn't have done. Either uh, you may not have been ready for the session, you may have made a sacrifice of, of something that wasn't necessarily necessary. Uh, so I would say a well-balanced, well-rounded triathlete is going to miss a couple sessions every month. Um, hopefully they're, they're the lower, um, lower quality sessions or the lower priority sessions, I should say. Um, but consistency in training is going to be your best friend. That's where you're going to produce your best results. That's where you're going to still be able to enjoy the sport. That's where your, your job and your family is still going to be a priority. Um, and it's going to afford you the opportunity to take the day off here and there, whether it be um, a day just where you're particularly busy and don't have time to get to the session. Uh, maybe you're tired. Maybe you've got an illness coming on. Maybe you didn't sleep well. And oftentimes in that case, the best thing for you to do is just take the day off. And when you've trained consistently, you're going to have no negative impact from missing that session or two in that week. So, um, but yeah, if you've been sporadic in your training and now you still have to miss additional sessions on top of that, that's going to be a much bigger impact. So that what I preach to everyone is consistency is your path to your, your best results. So be consistent. Don't be obsessed with being perfect. Be consistent. Great set, everyone. Let's cool down. It's time to cool down with a little triathlon mythbusters. Jeff, John, I'm going to pose to you a commonly believed principle from the multi-sport world, and I want y'all to talk out with me whether this principle is true or is it a myth. Are you both ready? All right. Yep, let's go. Many training programs preach establishing base fitness through long, low-intensity workouts further out from race day and then increasing the intensity as you get closer to your race. Fact or a myth? Is this the best way to build for a good race? So this is actually a principle that goes back decades um, and is one of those uh, things that's kind of proliferated triathlon training for a number of years. But uh, it's something that that TriDot started challenging many years ago. And I've really even seen a shift in uh, triathlon training, shifting away from this traditional base period. Uh, so really what, it, what it's saying is that we should spend the early part of the season um, – 
developing an aerobic efficiency that it's done, as you mentioned, through high volume, low intensity. Uh, what we have been able to demonstrate to be the most effective is a principle we refer to as fast before far, strong before long. So um, it's not just a clever saying. It's actually based on uh, data that we've collected. Um, this is one of the things that we've been able to demonstrate through our preseason project that we've done year after year with thousands of athletes is that focusing on getting faster and stronger early in the season has a direct implication to your race results later in the year. So while aerobic efficiency is important to develop, we don't want to develop that aerobic efficiency at the cost of functional threshold. So what we're able to do through optimized training is still develop that aerobic efficiency and functional threshold so that the athlete arrives at race day uh, well-rounded and at their best to perform on race day. Jeff, do you agree that this is a myth Absolutely, uh, I do. I think um, you know, the more data we have, uh, we can certainly prove that it's been at least 13, 14 years since we've been doing things very differently. And that's just, we didn't have a, a predisposition to do that. That's just what we found that, that worked. And so we go where the data goes. Um, so I think there's actually multiple myths in there. Um, some are just not, is not the best way. And there's some that's in impractical way. Um, that's known what you described as a high volume. And then later, you, as you get closer to the race, you taper the volume and increase the intensity and you're looking for a super compensation yeah. of training stimulus. So you're able to absorb all the stimulus. And so you're training one kind for the other. And so you have this overcompensation. That's fine. That that's true in, in some settings and that works. Um, but from that, that, that overall, um, standpoint of your base being somewhere where you're, uh, developing aerobic um, efficiency, there's a, in your fat burning. I hear that all the time. People talking about their fat burning. You have so much. People are obsessed efficiency. with fat burning. Yeah. yeah. So they're trying to do that and they're trying to do that and they're chugging Gatorade or, you know, these other things that just kill, um, go to the pancreas and, you know, release the insulin and it kills your fat burning. So you're burning carbs. So it's, that's much easily, more easily and effectively done through your nutrition, not your, your training. So that's where you want to you know, be a better fat burner. Um, that's why you're using, you can, uh, to do that. But then just the practicality, you have these pros and people see here's what the pros are doing. They're doing this high volume and, and such, but you know, they're training. If you think about it, they have a whole bunch of time to train and they're training for races that are much, much shorter than age groupers. And so when you have their volume that they can do 20 plus hours and they're cutting down to a, a race that's under 10, well, think about an athlete that's training for a 16 hour race, 15 hour race, what kind of high volume would they it's need? It's the same to distance. Yeah. But if the pros are covering it in eight, right. and I'm covering it in 12. So there's that's a, a, totally different a race. very impractical yeah. nature to, well, what kind of volume do they, and then that's not sustainable. And so taking that approach, most of the injuries happen from overuse, uh, and doing in too much. And so the older you get, it becomes more and more impractical to do that. Uh, more and more risky, dangerous, uh, for your, for your, your injuries, but also the, the thing that you're working that power standpoint, like John was mentioning your thre uh, threshold power, it's harder and harder to maintain, um, the older that you get. So that's something once you start losing it, muscle mass and your ability to produce power. And so going a whole season where you're going to only low intensity, you're never going to get back to where you were. It's much, much easier to maintain that uh, year round. You don't have to do a whole lot of it. Um, but to, to, to maintain that and then ramp up as the distance requires, there's, there's a period of time. If you think about it as well, looking at that, that high volume, um, if you're doing high volume in the off season and then you get closer to your race, you also have to do high volume there because you're training for these long events. There's not a period of time when you can minimize volume and work on high power production so that we treat that, that off season, that preseason period is very, very precious. There's no long sessions required. There's no high volume required. 
So there's not this race requirement that you have a volume or a long session. So during that time, you can do whatever's best for you to develop your fitness, your health, your stability, you know, all of that. Um, so you just get fit. You do whatever training is going to make you a better triathlete um, during that time that you can't do at any other time during the season. Well, there you have it, folks. It has been debunked as a myth. It is a myth that high volume, a long way out from race day, and then higher intensity closer to race day is the best way to train. It's actually quite the opposite. Just like John said, we want to go fast before far and strong before long. That's it for today, folks. I want to thank Tridot CEO Jeff Boer and Coach John Mayfield for talking with us. A big thanks to our friends at Generation UCAN for bringing us today's show. There is a reason so many of us at Tridot use UCAN, and it's because it simply works. I encourage everyone to give UCAN's nutrition products a try. Head to generationucan.com and use coupon code TRIDOT for 15% off your order. For all my Tridot users out there, I hope you gained a little insight into why your workouts are scheduled just the way they are. If you have never used Tridot and you want to give data-optimized training a try, head over to tridot.com and start your free test drive today. Enjoying the podcast? Have any triathlon questions or topics you want to hear us talk about? Email us at podcast at tridot.com and let us know what you're thinking. Again, that's podcast at tridot.com. We'll do it again soon. Until then, happy training. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe and share the TriDot podcast with your triathlon crew. For more great tri content and community, connect with us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Ready to optimize your training? Head to TriDot.com and start your free trial today. TriDot, the obvious and automatic choice for triathlon training.